Good morning, church family. Like Brandon said, my name's Caleb Rhodes. I work in our discipleship ministry here. Uh, we as a church have been in a sermon series walking through the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book of the Bible that is full of rich and practical wisdom that was written almost 3,000 years ago, but it is still immensely relevant and practical and applicable to our lives today. And that's why we've decided to entitle this sermon series, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to Travis's sermon in here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because we discussed qualities of life-giving friendship. We talked about how friendships need to include honesty and empathy and constancy and how we should seek friends who remind us of Jesus and how we should also seek to be friends who are reminding and pointing others to Jesus as well. So you don't need to have listened to his sermon to understand our message today, but you will be nothing but encouraged if you will go back and listen to it. So speaking of wisdom, let's, let's uh, jump into this week's sermon with a personal story from my teenage years. Now, last week, Travis put up a picture of himself from his younger years, and I just wanted to make sure it was known that it was my idea first, he just happened to preach before I did. So not to be outdone, here's a picture of me when I was about 17 years old. And believe it or not, I was full of wisdom, as this story I'm going to share will, uh, will verify. So when I was about 17 years old, right, I worked at a, a grocery store called Food Line. Some of you guys may be familiar with it. It's kind of like H-E-B, but better. Um, just kidding. And so this particular day, I was walking through, uh, walking out of the store to go and get shopping carts from the parking lot. And when I get out there, I see that there is a white SUV who has cut the corner too quickly and run into one of the concrete pillars. You know, the ones I'm talking about, the, they're like painted yellow. They stand about this tall. They hold the handicap signs. Well, they had, they'd cut the corner. They weren't paying attention to what they were doing and they had completely destroyed their car. Now, when I say destroyed the car, I mean like their hood was in the shape of a V from having hit this thing so hard. So as 17-year-olds do, I had a laugh, and then I just walked back into the store. And I remember as I was walking back through the store, I walked by my manager's office, and I was talking to one of my good friends who also worked at the store. And I remember asking him this rhetorical question. I said, what kind of idiot couldn't see a bright yellow concrete post in the middle of a parking lot? Now, you may, know where, you may think you know where this is going, but you don't. And I hear a voice come up from my manager's office, but it wasn't my manager. It was my regional manager. And he said, uh, that would be my wife. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. It hurt as bad as it sounds. So needless to say, from that point on, I could never make eye contact with that man again. But we've all said things that we wish we hadn't. We've all said things that we regret. But why? Why do we say them? And what can we do to prevent that from happening again? This morning, we're going to be talking about wise words from Proverbs, specifically Proverbs chapter 15. And Scripture in general and Proverbs in spe uh, specifically talks in great detail about how we should steward our words as believers of Jesus. But since we don't have time to talk about all of those things, I've narrowed it down to three, to three things that I think are especially important for us as believers. Three things from Proverbs 15 is that our words are powerful, our words are life-giving, and our words reflect our heart. Our words are powerful, they are life-giving, and they reflect our heart. Now, as we dive into this message 
in God's word, I want you to keep one thing kind of in the forefront of your mind. Today, I'm going to focus specifically on our use of words, our active communication. But wisdom is not only knowing what to say. More often than not, wisdom is also knowing what not to say. So let's begin reading in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Under our first point here, our words are powerful. Verse 1 reads, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. So as I said, our words are our primary means of communication, of active communication. And I think we would all agree that words have the power to heal and the power to destroy. So I've got a question for you. How many people here have ever had a procedure or a surgery or maybe even an injury that required uh, you to receive a prescription for pain pills? Anybody ever received any pain pills? Great. All right. So what I have here is what is left of a bottle of prescription for pain pills that I was given earlier this year for a procedure that I had. So when I got these pills, picked them up from the pharmacy, what, what did I do with them? Did I take them home, unscrew the cap, pour out four or five in my hand, pop them and have a great day? No, I, I mean, I hope not, right? If that's the case, then I probably wouldn't be standing here with you this morning. No, what did I do before I took this medicine? I mean, before I did anything else, what did I do? I read the instructions. That's right. I read the instructions. Why did I do that? Because I know that the instructions, they're there for my benefit, right? They were written by a doctor who knows everything about my life and my medical history that he needs to know in order to give me safe parameters for the use of these pills. The doctor knew intricately how these pills would travel into my body and disperse throughout my system. And he also knew the side effects of the medicine and how it would interact and how my body would react with my particular biological makeup. I read the instruction label before I took these pills because I recognized that these pills are powerful. Now, as you well know, there's an, ongoing opiate, there's an ongoing opioid epidemic in our country, and there has been for years. And many of you, I might even venture to say most of you in this room, have experienced the negative effects of a loved one who has fallen prey to the addictive qualities of these drugs or even drugs like these. Maybe you're even sitting here right now and you're like, Caleb, yeah, that's my story. I used to struggle with addiction. Or perhaps you're even that person that's sitting here in this room or even watching online and you're saying, Caleb, right now in this very moment, I'm still battling addiction. I'm struggling with this. Hear me clearly, friends, please. There is hope. There is hope for a life free from the bondage of substance abuse, free from the disappointment that addiction brings to you and to the ones who love you. There is real tangible hope. And I would be remiss to use this illustration and not point that out, knowing that there are people who suffer from this. There is real tangible hope. And we here at Park Cities Baptist Church want to help you experience that hope. And it's found in Jesus. So please, don't leave this room today until you've spoken to me or someone else on our staff. And we promise we will get you the resources and the help that you need. You see, these pills... These pills were created for the purpose of bringing healing and pain relief to the recipient. And many of you who raised your hands, you've experienced the severe or chronic pain that comes with injuries or with surgeries. And you know how truly life-giving that this type of pain relief can be. 
But the problem lies in that people are not using the medicine in the way that it was intended, in the way that it was prescribed. And the truth is, these pills, they have the potential to increase the quality of life for so many people. But when the power of these pills fall into the wrong hands, destruction ensues. Not only is the life of the person destroyed, but the lives of everyone who comes in contact with the person who is abusing these pills, they will experience the pain of the destructive power of these pills. Our words are powerful. And just like verse 1 says, with the flick of our tongue, we can either diffuse a situation by turning away wrath, or we can ignite conflict by stirring up anger. Now, we have personally lived out the wisdom that's found in these verses here recently in our lives. One of my daughters has struggled with some of the girls at school, in particular one little girl, who keeps saying some really, really unkind things to her. And I distinctly remember picking her up from school one day, and as she got in the van, I could see that she was visibly upset. So I asked her, you know, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? And she broke down crying, and she told me that one of the girls in school had, had, had said something really nasty to her that day, just super unkind. I won't repeat what it is, but it was, it was really bad. And I'll never forget her next, word, her next words to me. Through her tears, through her sobs, our eyes met in the rearview mirror. And she said, Dad, I feel like I'm a pinata. And she is just beating me up with her words until I almost burst inside. Mm. Have you ever felt that way? As a dad, now it took all the self-control that I and the Holy Spirit both could muster not to whip that van around and go in there and find that little girl. But that's another story for another time, right? But words are powerful. We know this because we have all experienced the positive and the negative power of words. Our words are powerful. Our second point here, our words are life-giving. Continue reading with me here in verse 4 of chapter 15. The Bible says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Remember that phrase, tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Now, I love the paraphrase of the message translation of the Bible of this verse. And it says, Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Have you ever experienced the perfectly timed word of encouragement or hope? from a friend or maybe even from a stranger that completely altered your outlook in a situation? Well, I have. And when I was in basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, uh, for the Army, right, I, had, I was really struggling. I had never spent any extended amount of time away from my family up to this point, much less 10 weeks that it was going to take me to get through this training. Oh, and on top of that, I had just gotten married seven weeks prior. So here I have a, a new bride. I'm still in the honeymoon phase. Never been away from home for more than just a few days at a time. And I find myself right in the middle of basic training. So I get one phone call when I first arrive that could last for two minutes. And I tell her, hey, I'm here safely. And I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to talk to you again. And I hung up. And I wasn't allowed to talk to any of my family or my wife again for an entire month. A whole month went by before I was able to call her on the phone again. So on top of all that stress, there was also the constant yelling and the mind games that the drill sergeants were playing. So to say that I was homesick and stressed out was an understatement. But one day, I had a friend in my platoon 
who said to me exactly what I needed to hear. He said, Caleb, there's only 24 hours in a day. And these drill sergeants can take all the stuff away from us, all our comforts of life, and they can make our lives as miserable as they want to. But the one thing they cannot change is those 24 hours in a day. Every 24 hours is a new day, and it is one day less that we have to spend in this place. So all we have to do is survive one more day at a time until it's over. And for whatever reason, that completely changed my perspective. What seemed to me like something that would never come to an end was actually not outside of the parameters of time that was established by God. And because of the wise words from a friend, I was able to make it through that season a bit easier. So going back to verse 4 here, the tree of life. Did you know that the tree of life is only found in three books of the Bible? It's found in Genesis at the very beginning. It's found in Revelation at the very end. And then it's found right here in Proverbs. So think about it. In Genesis, we're told about how sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. Their disobedience was then uh, perpetrated by the deceitful and foolish words of the serpent as he deceived them into their sin. They were subsequently banned then from both the garden and from partaking of the tree of life. And then fast forward all the way to the end of redemptive history, which is recorded in Revelation chapter 22, and we see a picture of creation. It's called Eden that is restored, and the tree of life is found right there in the center, producing foliage that brings healing to the nations. By his words, God spoke creation and and the universe into existence. Then through deceptive words, mankind was tempted into our disobedient abandonment of our creator. And then finally, through the uppercase word, as John calls Jesus in John one word, the word became flesh. By him, God's enemies are defeated and creation is restored into perfect relationship with their creator. From Genesis to Revelation, God begins and ends redemptive history with his words. And right smack dab in the middle, God has given us the book of Proverbs to help us wisely navigate the use of our words in the space in between. Now, you may be asking the question, well, how do I know if my words are wise or not? Well, ask yourself these questions. Do your words build others up or are you using them to tear others down? Think about that text message you sent. When that other person reads it, are they going to feel encouraged and filled up? Or are they going to be left feeling defeated or worse yet, worthless? You may be saying, well, of course I try to encourage people when I talk to them. Right? I mean, I would never intentionally try to tear someone down. But think about this. Think about that conversation you had with your coworkers about that other coworker. You know, the one that's really weird. Right? But if that, one, if that one coworker had heard your conversation, would they have been built up? Would have, have brought them life? Think about that one time you told your friends that thing about your spouse that you just couldn't stand. If your spouse were to have heard that, would they have felt built up? You see, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And this means that every word you speak, every word I speak, everywhere we speak it matters. And it is being evaluated by God and his holy standard. So let's go one step even further. Even the words in your mind the words that are formed that you would never dare let come out of your mouth, 
even those words are known and they are being judged by God. Knowing this, if you were to have to give yourself a rating for how well you're doing with your use of words, how would you be doing? I know I'm failing, and it was so convicting this week as I was preparing this sermon. You know, like a scalpel in the hands of a skillful surgeon, it ultimately brings about healing as he cuts through the abnormalities that are present in our bodies. So also our words, if they are guided by the wisdom of Scripture, serve as a skillful tool to bring about healing to people who are suffering from the diseases and the ailments of this broken world. But in the same way, if that powerful tool, if that scalpel were to fall into the hands of a terrorist, it would no longer bring about healing, but it would bring about chaos and destruction. It's the same tool, but one person uses it for destruction while the other uses it to bring life to its recipients. And so it is with how we choose to use our words. So going back to my comparison between these pills and words, these pills quite literally give some people back a reasonable quality of life. But that only happens when they submit themselves to the oversight of a healthcare professional, when they use them the way that they were intended, and they engage in regular conversations and checkups with their doctor, right? The same thing is true of our words. Living words can only come from the mouth of a person who understands how their words are intended to be used and spends regular time in conversations, receiving instructions for their use from the God who created them. Our words are powerful and our words are life-giving. Finally, our last proposition here, our last point, our words reflect our heart. In verse 7, it says, The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. Skipping down to verse 28, it says, The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. So as we think through these Proverbs and how they apply to our lives, we would be remiss to leave out what Jesus has to say on this matter. Now, you may be thinking, well, Caleb, why Jesus? I mean, these things were written like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever come on the scene. So why Jesus? That's because Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he is the perfect wisdom of God come to life. You see, not only did Jesus teach us what we should say and do during his life, he perfectly lived out each and every one of these Proverbs. Therefore, if anyone has anything to say that we should listen to about how we live this out, it's Jesus. And Jesus talks about speaking from the heart in Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament there. So he's speaking to the Jewish religious leadership of his day. He's having an interaction where they're challenging him. And he speaks to them in Matthew 12, verse 34, and he says this, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Man, that is a weighty passage. Your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. Now, I know 
that on occasion there are things that come out of my mouth and the privacy of my home or in conversations with my spouse that make me wonder, what is my heart full of? And that's my question. That's not my question. That is the text. That is the word of God's question for you this morning. Friend, what is your heart full of? So we moved to the great state of Texas in the summer of 2018. Now, I say great state because there's some people around here that get really offended if you don't say that. I think you have got some state pride issues to work through, but that's, we'll, we'll get to that. Anyways, it wasn't long after we moved here that my kids started waking up with runny nose, sore throats, you know, red eyes. You know what I'm talking about. And we took them to the doctor, and this doctor had the audacity to look us dead in the eyes and say, well, welcome to Texas, y'all. Your kids have allergies. I said, allergies, man. Many people struggle with allergies. I'd say a lot of us in this room probably struggle with allergies. And our allergies tend to flare up when the air is full of dust and pollen. And that makes it difficult for us to breathe. Because you can't breathe properly if the air is full of all this stuff. You wake up feeling like there's concrete in your nose. You know what I'm talking about? Or like someone has blown up a balloon right behind your eyeballs. It's terrible. right? But these symptoms arise because the air that we are inhaling is filled with contaminants. And those of us who struggle with allergies look forward to the day when the air is cleaner and clearer, which happens once every three years in Dallas. But we are especially excited when we get some rain like we did on Friday, and it comes in and it washes all these pollutants out of the air, and we feel like we can breathe again. You can even say when it comes to the air that we breathe, purity is what we're looking for. And purity is what God is looking for in the character of his people. The words we speak accurately reflect the character of your heart. And for believers, especially, we have been redeemed and we have received the Holy Spirit of God who is actively working in our lives and especially in our hearts to sanctify us into the image of Jesus Christ. Therefore, every word that comes from my mouth, from your mouth, should give glory to God and should be life-giving and encouraging to our neighbors. Why then, why then, if we have been redeemed and sanctified, why then do we continue to talk about people? Why do we gossip tell off-color jokes just to get a laugh. Well, let's be honest. It's much easier to make fun of someone or to crack a crude joke than it is to try to steer that conversation in a positive direction. Why is that? It's because there's a problem. It's because our hearts, even if they've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, are still tainted by sin. And that's never going to change until we are in eternity with God. We speak rashly because every single one of us speak from a broken heart. Now, this is not like a heartbreak that we experience when someone we love leaves us, right? On one level, yes, unmet expectations, extreme loss, death, all those things are, are reasons for forms of heartbreak, but those ultimately are just symptoms of a much larger problem, and the larger problem is sin. Because sin is part of our world, Heartbreak is a reality. Because sin is part of our world, broken words are a reality. And the source of all of our heartbreak problems is not because someone we love has left us, but because we in our sin have left the one 
who truly loved us first. Genesis 3 talks about the events of the human race's fall into sin. By one disobedient act, we were plunged into a world that was destined for chaos and destruction, and our individual lives would forever be restricted from having an intimate relationship with our Creator. But just as God is pure light, there's no darkness in Him. If you turn on a lamp, darkness can't exist where that light is. In the same way, God is perfectly holy, and sin cannot exist in relationship with Him. Something must be done about our sin in order for us to be in right relationship with him. Something must be done about our sin if we have any hope of fixing our broken words. And this is exactly where Jesus steps into history. In the New Testament, Jesus is the ultimate word from God, as John calls him in John 1.1. And the word became flesh because he did what we could not do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he gave himself up to be put to death on our behalf as the perfect atoning sacrifice without any blemish of sin, he satisfied the righteous requirements of God in order for us to have our relationship with our creator restored. But the gift of this redemptive work is not automatically credited to our accounts. We must receive it through faith. Now, to be clear, this is a free gift and it is available to anyone who wants it. All you have to do is believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. But hear me, there will be someone here this morning or listening online that hears this invitation and call to salvation and rejects it. Friends, please don't let that be you. See, Jesus says that the source of our speech problem is actually a heart problem. And just like our physical heart pumps blood through our body, right? Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's pumping rich oxygen and nutrients to our vital organs. So also our spiritual heart feeds our soul and our mind. So if your physical heart has a problem, then your physical body becomes defective. As your physical heart beats, ba-boom, ba-boom, your organs, if it is defective, your organs don't receive the supply of healthy blood in ample time. Or even in serious cases, the blood doesn't even reach the vital organs due to years of plaque buildup or other serious diseases. So in other words, if you have a defective heart, you will have a defective body. In the same way, if you have a defective spiritual heart, as your spiritual heart is pumping, it's delivering contents to the mind where they will be processed and they will be formed into words because, remember, you can't speak anything that you have not first processed in your mind and thought about, although you may not have thought about them as long as you should have before you said them. You have thought about them. And as your spiritual heart is delivering these things, if your spiritual heart is diseased, it will be delivering a delayed and a diseased product to your mind and out of your mouth. And the fruit of a diseased heart are destructive words. Now, think about it. If we go to an apple tree and all the apples are rotten, do we blame the apple for its condition? No, of course not. We blame the tree. But why do we do that? Because we recognize that the fruit is simply a product that reflects the health of the tree that produced it. So this is how you diagnose if you have a defective heart. You ask yourself, do you gossip? Then you have a gossip's heart. Do you lie? then you have a liar's heart. Do you slander? 
then you have a slanderer's heart. If you take an orange and you squeeze it, what do you get? You get orange juice. In the same way, if you will squeeze your heart and examine its contents, there will be no hiding the true state. If you want to fix your broken words, you've got to fix your heart. If you want to fix your broken words, you've got to fix your heart. And the only fix for your broken heart is Jesus. If you haven't accepted him, he is available to you right here, right now. For those of us who have accepted Jesus and call ourselves believers in him, you gotta spend time in his word. The tree of life, as we said, from Genesis to Revelation and Proverbs in between, this book was written for our instruction to teach us how to live in a righteous relationship with our creator. That's how you fix your broken heart. You wanna fix your broken words, you fix your heart. Our words are powerful. Our words are life-giving. And our words reflect our heart. Now, possibly the most important question of the entire sermon, where do you go from here? What do I do with what I've just heard, Caleb? How do I put this into practice? Well, I want to I give you a challenge this week. Something that as soon as this sermon is over, as soon as you step out these doors, you can put this into practice. And you begin living a life without broken words. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your words this week to build others up. Maybe that looks like saying a few things to your kids every day, finding two or three things about your kids that makes you proud to be their parent, that's unique and special about them. Tell them that. Maybe that means speaking words of encouragement to your cashier at the grocery store or your waiter or waitress at a restaurant. and say, hey, thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to serve in this role. Maybe that means reaching out to a friend that's been struggling and reassuring them that you are actually there and that you care. Our words are powerful, our words are life-giving, and our words reflect our heart. So find a way this week to make your words count for the kingdom of God by using them to build others up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for your word that is like a double-edged sword that cuts through us. God, I pray that as we leave today, we would leave both encouraged to know that there is grace for our mistakes, that we can never be perfect because until eternity with you, there is sin that is tainting our hearts and our minds. But God, help us to strive to live and to speak in such a way that brings you glory and builds others up. May we leave convicted of the sin that is in our lives and cry out to you, God, for forgiveness and for hope. May you give us grace on this journey and may we build others up with our words this week. In your name, amen.